Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. To think past through this last week, how would you categorize the prayers in your life? If you were to have a, a chart and you were to have a piece of paper and you said, well, I remember praying for this, so I'm going to put that down. I remember praying for meals, so I'll write that down. I remember praying for someone's health, so health request. And you categorize the different type of prayers that you had this last week. Uh, where would that chart land? I think for most of us, as was evident by just a few moments ago, uh, we find it easy to pray for other people's health. We find out that someone's going through um, uh, a diagnosis or a difficult time with their health, and for some reason, it's easy for us to be compelled to pray for someone else's health because we all know what it's like to feel not well. Uh, you find yourself praying at meals, and, and maybe it's the same prayer every meal, or um, maybe you take turns in your home for meals, but what does it look like to pray this last week? What are the type of prayers you find yourself praying? We're going to look at this amazing scripture in Acts chapter 4 today, and what we will find is when you look at the series of events that happened and then the response and the type of prayer that was prayed really should uh, compel us and challenge us to say, what would it look like if I prayed this way in response to difficult circumstances? We're in Acts chapter uh, 4 this morning, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can go to Acts chapter 4. It's a continuation of the narrative in Acts chapter 3. Uh, Peter and John have gone to the temple for, by way of review. Uh, They've seen a lame man at the gate called Beautiful. He's about 40 years old. He's not able to enter, though, because he's lame. And Jewish custom said if you were physically ill or physically impaired permanently, you were not allowed to go in and to worship. And so this man would sit at the outside of the temple, not able to enter, but he would ask people for alms. He would, uh, would be the equivalent of someone holding a sign, perhaps. And rather than disregard this person, when Peter and John went to the temple, they looked upon this person and they made eye contact with him. It's a pretty amazing scene. Uh, the man asks of Peter and John, do you have anything? And Peter and John respond, I don't have any silver and gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, what's interesting about that is the chapter before, we have just seen Peter and John do have money. Do you remember at the end of Acts chapter 2, what had happened with all the money? All these 3,000 people that came to Jesus, do you remember what they did with their money? They, they pooled it together. They pulled it together. They had these resources. And so Peter and John, when they said the statement, silver and gold have I none, what they're saying is, it's not mine to give, Right? We have these monies, they've been collected, they're uh, pooled together for the resources for us, but it's not mine to give. I will share with you something I am able to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the result is amazing. The man walks and he begins leaping and praising God. He enters the temple and he's still leaping and praising God. The people were amazed and astonished. 
What we'll find in the book of Acts is when there is, uh, when there is a significant event like this, the disciples capitalize on this type of energy and momentum, and they always shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. So people, uh, people begin to hear Peter, and Peter begins to preach this message. And as he preaches this message, he very clearly states, Jesus Messiah is who was on the cross. Jesus Messiah is the one who raised from the dead. It is he who gives us eternal life. Now, this is when things take a turn for the worst. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, everything's going well for the church, and then all of a sudden, this message is preached, and now there's opposition. We understand that the purpose of Acts is this. It tells us, the book of Acts tells us how God directs the expansion of his kingdom through the world through a spirit-empowered church despite internal obstacles and external opposition. So far, what we've seen is the kingdom expand, right? Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter preaches a message, 3,000 people are saved. Acts chapter uh, 3, after uh, the, the, the healing of uh, the lame man, it says another two or 3,000 are added to the kingdom. So we've seen the expansion. The Spirit has been empowered. We've seen the Holy Spirit come down on him. What we're about to see in Acts chapter 4 and 5 next week is internal obstacles and external opposition. Today, we unpack the external opposition. Historically, when the church of God has persecution, the kingdom of God expands. And so people begin to believe in increasing amounts. And all of a sudden, the priests and the captains and the Sadducees, the religious elite, were very annoyed. They were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus and the resurrection was truth. And this went against what they believed and against how it would influence them. So they arrested Peter and John. They put them in custody till the next day. The Sanhedrin, or the Supreme Court, if you will, meets and they're concerned. And so they ask Peter and John, by what power, whose authority are you doing these things? And they said, well, we're pretty clear it's in the name of Jesus Christ we're doing these things. And in the face of persecution, Peter spoke from faith, not his fear. Uh, We'll pick it up in verse 11. He says this, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. Verse 12, one of, the most, one of the more key verses in Acts says this, there is salvation in no one else. We talked about it last week in Easter. Jesus made this claim that no one else could make. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No one else lived a sinless, perfect life. Uh, no one else died for your sin. No one else rose from the dead by his own power. So think about this. They've healed the lame man. They've been arrested. Now they've been questioned. And as Paul Harvey would say, now the rest of the story. You can Google who Paul Harvey is later. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, were they really uneducated men? Well, relatively so, compared to those who were doing the judging. Certainly compared to the religious elite. They, like Jesus, had no formal training. Uh, There was no uh, 
there was no education from them in that sense. They were educated in two ways. They knew the scriptures and they had been with Jesus. So the Sanhedrin saw this boldness and the boldness astonished him. And the conclusion that they drew was this. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they saw the boldness and they knew that they had been with Jesus. This boldness caused them to uh, realize the only way they could have been this bold was because of this man, this Messiah, Jesus. It begs us to ask this question of ourselves. Can anyone notice that you've been with Jesus? What are you like when you have been with Jesus? It's not in your notes, but I think about the passage in Galatians 5, if you have your Bibles. Galatians chapter 5 walks us through uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Can anyone notice you've been with him? What are you like when you have been with Jesus? The Bible says this, the Holy Spirit would produce this kind of fruit in our lives. Number one, love. Are you more loving after you've been with Jesus? Joy, peace. Does someone come around you and they feel the peace of God and they perceive, well, this person does yoga. I can feel it. This person meditates. I can feel it. This person has a um, a tray of sand with a mini rake and I can tell. None of those things are bad, but the peace of God is rooted in his presence, right? And they perceive that they had been with Jesus because of what they saw. So uh, are you more loving? Are you more joyful? Are you peaceful? Are you, uh, does someone look at your patience and say, my goodness, they've been with Jesus? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. When I think about this question, what do you like when you have been with Jesus? Literally in my notes, my notes I said this for myself. Uh, maybe the better question is, what is it like when I haven't been with Jesus? And can people notice when I haven't been with Jesus? Galatians 5 addresses that too. A few verses before, he says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful thoughts, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, and other sins like these. I think for us, it's imperative for us to just do some inventory and say, um, the way I just acted, can, can people tell I've been with Jesus? Because they had been with Jesus, their disposition changed, their behavior changed, Look at the next verse. It says this, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. It's interesting to note that when the Jewish leaders did not do is they did not question the veracity of the miracle. 
They didn't say, well, he's not really uh, healed. Uh, This is just a parlor trick. Uh, This is not the same man who's been there for 40 years. The miracle was examined by the doubters and they stood up as a genuine miracle. This was not the case when the healing was, uh, if the healing had been lost a few hours later. Understand, this is the next day. The man's still walking and leaping and praising God, we assume. Verse 15, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. And I think this is such interesting insight. Uh, now, who, who wrote the book of Acts, church? Luke wrote it, right? He's one of the uh, disciples. He's not part of the Sanhedrin. So it says this, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? How did Luke know what they were talking about? It's interesting because uh, if you do the timeline and you kind of unpack Scripture a little bit, we won't be introduced to the Apostle Paul till Acts chapter 8, but it's likely that Paul was here in the Sanhedrin as Saul as part of the ruling council. It kind of indicates to us that perhaps Luke found out what the Sanhedrin were discussing because later in their journeys together, Paul said, do you remember that day, Peter? Do you remember that day, John, when you guys were arrested? It was early on. I, do you, I don't know if you remember, but I was on the council. And we looked at each other and said, what shall we do with these men? It goes on to say this, for that a notable sign he had been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. It's interesting because they acknowledged that a miracle had genuinely happened, yet they refused to submit to the God who worked the miracle. Verse 17, we continue, but in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Their fear of the preaching of Jesus was rooted in their own self-interest, not in any desire to protect the people. They were trying to protect their status quo, their influence, their position, their leadership. And so verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. If you're following in our notes, to stop the movement of the Holy Spirit, they attempted to contain the boldness. And might I say, church, as a follower of Jesus Christ, this will be your biggest temptation to contain your boldness. This will be your biggest temptation as you go to work, as you interact with your family, as you interact with uh, those that may not know the name of Jesus, is to contain or put your faith on, on the shelf somewhere. And when you go to work, you clock in, and when you clock in, you put your faith on the shelf, and, and no one really knows because things might get awkward. They might ask you a question. It's amazing what we choose to be bold about. I have this group of uh, pastor friends that I get to see once in a while, and um, um, I'm always wearing a Lakers shirt when I'm with them. They, I didn't know that. They told me that the last time I was there. I was in Salem, and I was wearing a Lakers shirt, and they said, Daniel, do you own any other pieces of clothing? Because every time we see you, you have this shirt on. Will I care about them? Admittingly, probably a little bit more than I should, but because, easy, easy, um, but because I care about them, because I like them, I, I, I'm not 
afraid to be bold in that fandom. It's amazing what we are bold about. I look at bumper stickers sometimes, and I just wonder, what person lives in that car? (laughs) Because oftentimes the bumper stickers will just contradict one another. And then I think there might be a divided household and perhaps the, the, whether it's politics that are being divided or sports or different things, uh, what are you bold about? What, do you don't, what are you just unafraid of sharing? What do, you, uh, what do you find yourself in a coffee shop and you overhear a conversation and you say, I want to join that conversation and set them right. What are you bold about? To stop the movement of the Holy Spirit, they attempted to contain your boldness. I should amend these notes. I should say Satan attempted to contain their boldness. Because if there's a moment in your life and you feel like your faith needs to be shriveled or your faith needs to be hidden behind a mask or your faith needs to be just shy for a moment, I can tell you right now that's not Jesus in your heart. That's the enemy of your soul whispering to you, You don't have to take a stand here. Just laugh at that joke. It's fine. Don't stand up here. Don't don't tell them your plans for the Sunday. When they say what your plans for the weekend, tell them what you're doing Saturday, but you don't have to mention church. Like this idea of containing the boldness is, is our temptation from the enemy of our soul. Peter and John answered them and said, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. In other words, don't bother trying to stop us. Now, if you review the last couple of months for Peter and John, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, We're going to back up up until Palm Sunday. So a few months ago for them, Peter and John have been given an assignment. Hey, We're going to go get ready for the Passover meal, but before we do that, uh, Peter and John, there's going to be a colt tied somewhere. And when you find the colt, just take it. Trust me. This is what Jesus says. And he says, when people ask you uh, what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs the colt, and they'll understand. So Peter and John, in faith, just go, and they find this colt. They prepare for uh, Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. And you got to see it from Peter and John's point of view. They're standing there on the sidelines, and they see Peter and John, or I'm sorry, Jesus on the colt, walking through Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, people are laying the palm branches in front of them. And the crowd starts cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna. In other words, save us, save us. That's what that word Hosanna means. And they might be thinking, my goodness, this is it. What we've been waiting for these last three years, Jesus is going to be king. They go through that week and they go through the Last Supper and all of a sudden things take an ominous turn at the Last Supper. It was just a few days ago they were saying Hosanna and now Jesus is saying he's not going to be with us anymore. And he takes the bread and he takes the cup like we'll do in a few moments and he explains to them, this is my body, eat it. This is my Blood, drink it, because I'm not going to do it again until I do so in the new heaven. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. They sing a hymn, the Bible says, right after that last supper. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And then they're betrayed by Judas. Just a few hours earlier, Judas is there for the meal. He's there eating the same meal with them. Peter and John, one of them, likely were sitting next to him or near him. And and they shared the same meal as Judas. And now Judas is betraying Jesus. They're seeing Jesus on the cross. They're being told the woman. uh, I'm sorry, they see Jesus on the cross. They see Jesus giving instructions to Mary. While he's dying, they perhaps see the interaction of Jesus with the thieves on the cross. Silence falls on the earth, darkness for three hours, the earth shakes, and Jesus is dead. He's buried. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they prepare the body. And then Sunday comes, and the women are running to Peter saying, he's not, he's not there, he's alive. They go and they meet up with, uh, they go to Emmaus, and all of a sudden there's this guy that walks alongside them to Emmaus, and, and the guy says, so what's new? What's going on, guys? What's new? And the disciple says, have you been under a rock? Don't you understand what's been happening? And they tell him the story about Jesus and how he was died. And now the body can't be found anywhere. This is Peter and John living these moments. And then they go and they, the, the man they didn't know was Jesus is Jesus. And he says, well, I'm going to go. And he says, no, stay with us. They have the meal. And then over a meal. And I just, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Because the last time they had a meal with Jesus, he passed the bread to them. He passed the wine to them. And now perhaps in that same moment when he passes the bread it's like they went from black and white to, to full color. All of a sudden, they recognize this is, this is Jesus. He spends 40 days with the disciples and explaining about the coming kingdom. And then he ascends into heaven. Peter and John are here for all this. He ascends into heaven, and now they're waiting. And then the angels of the Lord said, what are you doing waiting? What are you, why are you standing? He said to go to Jerusalem and wait. So go to Jerusalem and wait. So they go to the upper room and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come down. Uh, and it does. Uh, and then Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches a message. The same Peter who just a few weeks ago was denying Christ is now proclaiming the truth about who Jesus is. The lame man is healed. And you all think he's going to stop preaching now? He had seen too much. The words of Jesus were echoing through his head. So in the moment where he believed, uh, where he recalled the words where Jesus said, you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And now the Sanhedrin said, would you all mind just shutting up? Like, we're not going to arrest you. We're not going to hold you any longer. We're not going to take your life. We took Jesus' life. We won't take your life. But would you please stop preaching the gospel? Remembering what God had done gave them the boldness to be led by the Holy Spirit. Our circumstances are temporary and we serve an eternal God. 
And so there will be moments in our life where the circumstances feel so overwhelming, and whether it's a financial difficulty or a relational difficulty or a health difficulty, or maybe just in your own mind or an emotional where, where, where you don't know how you're going to take the next step, and all of a sudden there will be room for the, for, for the enemy of our soul to plant the seed that it'd be just easier if you just, if you just were shy, if you just contained your boldness, if your walk was a little bit quieter than it used to be. It would be easy to fall into that temptation. And yet when we look outside of our present circumstances, we can look bad at, back at how God has been faithful. And then all of a sudden it gives us the boldness to be led by the Spirit. Our circumstances are temporary, and God is eternal. Uh, Look what happens next. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The Jewish leaders were completely unmoved by an obvious miracle from God, yet they responded to public opinion. The Bible says that all were praising God for what had happened. The whole situation started looking out bad, and Peter and John were on trial before the same court that sent Jesus to Pilate for crucifixion. It was meant for great evil, but when it was all over, see what God did. Thousands more came to believe on Jesus. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit again. He got to preach in front of the Jewish leaders. The enemies of Jesus were confused and confounded, and now they were bolder than they had ever been. Look at what happens next. When they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Could you imagine that report? Peter and John say, oh, so... They, they held us overnight. The next day, they, they questioned us, and we just kept on saying, it doesn't matter what you decide. God has already given us permission, authority, in the name of Jesus. Do we do this? And so we preached again to them, and they, 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 they let us go. They told us not to tell others about Jesus, but guess what? We're still going to do it. That's the report. That's what happened. The church, this is how the church responded, the early church. I'm going to read the next few verses together, but this is their response. When they heard it, They lifted their voices together. Everyone say the word together. Together Together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In response to persecution, they prayed for further boldness. So just five quick observations about their prayer for boldness. Number one, they prayed together. Verse 24 says this, when they heard it, the report that Peter and John had given, they lifted their voices together 
to God. In response, the early Christian church, this community, uh, and their companions had a prayer meeting. Important events moved them to prayer. Um, When you look at verse 24, two things stand out to me. They prayed vocally and they prayed in unity. Um, It's certainly possible to pray silently in our minds. Um, And I think that's the posture most of us would take when we're praying. But most of the time in Scripture when people prayed, it was vocally. And I'd encourage you this week to pray vocally somewhere. Find a space, find wherever you normally have that moment of prayer, and pray out loud. Uh, It's interesting, the, the culture of us bowing our heads and closing our eyes is relatively new in church traditions. In the early church, praying meant we looked to the heavens, which might feel a little different. Oftentimes they would raise their hands in a posture of surrender, in a posture of receiving And as they looked towards the heavens, as their hands were outstretched, they prayed vocally. I'd encourage you to do that somewhere this week. Probably not at a grocery store. But find some space. Some of you have some beautiful, you have homes and you have backyards or you have a space where you could just open up your eyes to the heavens and outstretch your arms and pray out loud. Let God hear your voice. Let yourself hear your voice. Uh, There are times, and I don't mind admitting this as your pastor, when I pray silently that my mind just wanders. And as I'm praying silently, I'll, I'll start thinking about something else. And so I've gotten in the habit over the years to pray out loud, and I often will write some prayers out in my journal. They prayed vocally, but they also prayed in unity. They prayed together. There's something powerful and supernatural when people agree in prayer. Uh, Libby and I have felt so supported uh, by our church this last week. Uh, People just expressing that they're praying with us. Uh, Many of you... um, texted us what you were praying in that moment for us. And we've read them and we've reread them and we've agreed in prayer with that. There's something supernatural that happens when we pray together. They prayed together. Uh, second of all, they reminded themselves that God is in control. How often do you need this reminder that God is in control? Verse 24 says this, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This might be an appropriate way to start your prayers this week. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. As a reminder to ourselves that God is the creator And we are the creation and he is the God of all power. They reminded themselves that God is in control. He's all powerful. As you remind yourselves of that, um, the song says what? When we turn our eyes to Jesus, uh, the things of earth grow strangely dim. 
what seemed like mountains, what seemed like giants, what seemed like huge obstacles in our life, when we can lift our eyes behind, uh, beyond those obstacles and those giants just a little bit further and all of a sudden see the God, the sovereign Lord, who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, all of a sudden those other things grow strangely dim. They reminded themselves that God is in control. Thirdly, they reminded themselves that their current oppositions are temporary. They're temporary. Uh, They talk about the father David and they talk about the kings and the earth setting themselves against his anointed. The apostles and disciples believe that the words of King David recorded in Psalms 2 that they're quoting were actually the words of the Lord God said by the mouth of King David. And the earliest Christians had this high view of scriptures and they understood that they should expect this sort of opposition and not to be troubled because oppositions in our life are temporary. Because God is in control of all things. Perhaps this is, this is a part of your prayer this week. Father, here are my current oppositions. And I'm reminded that they're temporary. My financial oppositions and hurdles and circumstances are temporary. My relational ones are temporary. All of these things are temporary, so I point my eyes to an eternal God. They prayed together. They prayed. They reminded themselves that God is in control. Their current oppositions are temporary. Fourth, they prayed for boldness in order to speak the word. It said this, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This request is consumed with God's cause and his glory, not because of our comfort. They asked for things that would lead to more confrontation, not less. Um, If you pray for boldness, buckle up, because God will give it to you. What you do with that boldness is up to us, and it's the position of our heart and how we obey to the Holy Spirit. But if you pray for boldness at work, he will give it to you. If you pray for boldness in your walk with Jesus, uh, he will give it to you. Uh, This is not the normal response to the events. If we went through a similar situation and, and, um, and, and Darren and myself were arrested and placed in jail overnight... For preaching, and we came out, and we uh, and we shared why we were arrested, and we uh, and we did so. Um, I think at some point we would pray, Lord, help them not get arrested anymore. I don't know. Maybe you're thinking that was really nice. Let's. But at some point we would be praying, Lord, Lord, help them not to get arrested. Help them to be protected. Help them. And what they did was they said this, not only Peter and John to have more boldness, but all your servants, every one of us, let's act in the same, same uh, posture with boldness. Um, I think the other thing to, to note, look at verse 29. The request for boldness was not just for boldness sake. It was to continue to speak your word with all boldness. 
It was this declaration of truth that they were praying for. Uh, Fifth, this morning, they reminded themselves that God would continue to rule and to reign. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't ask to do miracles themselves. They understood that Jesus healed by his own hand and he did it from the heavens through his people. And they asked that he would continue to rule and to reign. A beautiful thing happens at the end of Acts chapter 4, near the end. It says this, when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The earthquake was a unique emblem of God's pleasure, and we don't know the extent of the shaking. It may have been confined to the house, and it may have just been a rattle, but I like to think about it as a full-on shake. I, th- I think that's what happened. The idea that they were spirit-filled now, they were filled to preach, to speak the word of God in boldness. Their boldness was a gift from God received through prayer. It was not something that they tried to work up on themselves, but it was the gift of God, this boldness. So I'd ask you to consider, I asked you this earlier when we started, if you were to categorize your prayers, where would they fall? Well, these are these five moments that we've seen, these five observations about their prayer. I'd ask you to think about those and incorporate them in your life. So number one, they prayed together. Um, find someone to pray with you this week. Uh, if it's your family or your spouse or a loved one, um, find someone to pray with. Think about what the early church did when they lifted their voices together. I'd ask you to uh, find a space where you pray vocally this week. You pray out loud. Uh, maybe you go take a walk, and as you're walking and enjoying God's creation uh, during this sunny week ahead of us, right? You just, yeah, we'll see. Welcome to Oregon. Um, But maybe while you're walking and you get to see God's uh, handiwork in the sky and around you, you vocally have this prayer. They prayed and they reminded themselves that God is in control. What is the circumstance in your life where you need to remind yourself he's in control? What's the circumstance? What's the relationship What's the circumstance? What is it in your life that you need to remind yourself that God is in control? And make this a part of your prayer where you simply say, Sovereign Lord, who created heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it, I know that you are in control. Thirdly, they remembered and they reminded themselves that their current oppositions are temporary. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, I know you're in control of, anything, of everything, and I know what I'm going through right now is temporary. Those kind of reminders. They prayed for boldness to speak the word. Um, this prayer request comes with a caution, because as you pray for boldness, God will grant it to you. And it's up to us to be bold and to be obedient to the Spirit. And then they reminded themselves that God would continue to rule and to reign. You know, what has been such an anchor to my heart and to my soul is that God will continue to rule and to reign. When they had prayed, 
the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we lift our voices up to you. And even in this moment, we pray together, Lord. We lift our voices to you together. Father, we are in awe of who you are. You are our sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You are in control. You are all powerful. You are all knowing. You are wise. You are our Father. You are our mighty God. You are in control. In the current circumstances that we find ourselves in this morning, that cause us the most pain, that cause us the most grief, that cause us the most agony, that causes us the most worry, those circumstances, Father, we recognize and we pray together and acknowledge they are temporary. And yet, Lord, in the moments that we experience them, they feel permanent. They feel like they weigh on our soul. They feel like nothing else can be addressed until this is resolved. And so, Father, we acknowledge before you, sovereign Lord, that they are temporary. And you are eternal. Father, would you remind our hearts and our souls that as the agony or the pain or the grief or the worry rest in our heart, that we would acknowledge that these circumstances are temporary and we serve an eternal God. You said, I am the Lord and I change not. You said that you would never leave us nor forsake us. You told Moses you are uh, the beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega. Father, that you are eternal. Lord, we pray for boldness to speak the word. The living word that you have given to us. Father, we pray for boldness. We pray for those that will uh, prepare their week this afternoon and tomorrow will get up and go to work. We pray that when people are around us, they would perceive that we've been with Jesus. And when given the opportunity with a question or a comment, we would have boldness to speak the word. When they ask us about circumstances, when they ask our advice about something, when they see how we respond to conflict or tension or an interruption in our life, and they see the grace or the patience or the love that we handle those interruptions, Father, would it give please give us a window to be bold about our faith, to speak the word. Would you give us wisdom in our boldness? Understanding that boldness isn't loud, it is spirit-led. It's discerning, it's wise. And Father, in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, would you remind us that you will continue to rule and to reign. Would how we pray change this week? 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.